I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. There she goes, the hairy bullet. How are you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. Welcome to podcast number 76. It is the middle of May, thereabouts, 2018. I am walking down a track, as you may be able to hear, in uh, the countryside, out in the east of England. It's a Sunday afternoon. Weather's a little bit blah, but, you know, could be a lot worse. I'm not complaining. I don't want you to think I'm complaining. I'm lucky. I know it. And so is Rosie, my dog friend. She leads the good life out here. She's not even on a leash. There's no one around, really, in these fields, so she can just do what she wants. Although, occasionally, she will hang out with some fairly insalubrious types. Last week, for example... She came back with a couple of ticks, not something she's done before, which is a surprise, really, because there's a lot of long grass out here and quite a number of deer that go scampering around, so it's ideal tick territory, you might think. Anyway, so far, she's managed to avoid that crowd, but uh, this week, there they were, two of them hanging out on her head. And um, I was forced to get out the tweezers. Yeah, you were really rude to them as well. Well, I'm sorry, Rosie, but, you know, I've told you before, you're a good-looking young dog. You're going to attract those kinds of parasites, and I don't want them in my house. You didn't even try to get to know them. Look, I've come across their kind before, and believe me, you do not want to hang out with them. It's all take, 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 and maybe, if you're lucky... A bit of Lyme disease. You never like anyone I bring home. Well, that's often because you've killed them. But look, I'm just watching out for your best interests. You don't know anything about my best interests. I'm going to go and find some squirrels. They're much nicer than you. Okay. while Rosie goes off, let me tell you a little bit about this week's podcast conversation, which is with British writer, producer and presenter Charlie Brooker. Here's some brief Charlie facts for you. One of the first things to bring Charlie's humour to the attention of the wider world, including myself and Joe Cornish, was the website that Charlie created in 1999, TV Go Home, which featured beautifully laid out, invented TV listings, satirising the kind of programmes that Charlie would sit at home and shout at at the time. The website still exists, in fact, and you'll find a link, along with a few other things that we talk about, in the description of this episode. Another fan of TV Go Home was British comedian and satirist Chris Morris, with whom Charlie developed his first narrative TV show, Nathan Barley, that aired on Channel 4 in the UK in 2005. Nathan Barley lampooned all aspects of ludicrous East London trendy culture. At the time, it got rather a tepid reception from some critics and viewers, but it's since found a new generation of fans for whom the show works as a satire of all sorts of modern pop-cultural twattery, some of which 
appears to have used episodes of Nathan Barley as a kind of instruction manual, not mentioning any names, Vice. In 2006, Charlie began writing and presenting the TV review show Screen Wipe on BBC4. That was similar in tone to the Guardian TV review columns that Charlie wrote from 2000 to 2010. Uh, they were called Screen Burn, I seem to recall. And Screen Wipe on TV provided a loose format within which Charlie could rant and rave between carefully chosen clips and the occasional guest contribution. I contributed something as Ken Corder ages ago about a TV show called The Mint. I'm not suggesting it was the greatest moment ever on screen wipe, but it was a moment. Charlie continues to present the odd end-of-year wipe to this day, although the 2017 end-of-year wipe had to be cancelled due to deadline pressure from his globe-conquering, multi-award-winning science fiction anthology series, Black Mirror. Black Mirror's self-contained episodes, 18 to date since it started airing in 2011, have provided Charlie with a place to explore on a more ambitious scale many of the themes that have always preoccupied him, especially the social and spiritual price to be paid for the wonders of technological progress. Black Mirror, like much of Charlie's work, is filled with moments that are wildly imaginative, strange, hilarious, angry, and sometimes just goofy. A bit like Charlie himself, as you'll hear. And uh, I suppose at this point I should say that if you're likely to be upset or offended by some very strong language and a few somewhat grim and scatological conversational topics, then this may not be the best episode of the podcast for you. But if you don't listen, you will miss out on Charlie's impression of comedian Jimmy Carr's distinctive laugh, which comes towards the end of our chat. And that is something that I think is going to make you happier. My conversation with Charlie was recorded in March of this year, 2018, in the West London house where he lives with his wife, Connie, and their two young children. One of the first things you see when you enter their house is a full-size Space Invaders arcade game cabinet. Now, video games have always featured heavily in Charlie's life and work. His entry point into the media was game journalism back in the 90s. And we began by reminiscing about our childhood fascination with those blocky virtual worlds. Back at the end with a small serving of waffle, but right now, here we go! exposure to video games I can remember that it was at a swimming pool in I think Wantage in Oxfordshire Berkshire mm. and they had Space Invaders and Breakout and I think it's called Circus with a seesaw and two blokes who pop balloons don't know if you remember that yeah. and um, I remember seeing them and being immediately mesmerised mm-hmm. 
There was something magic about them, and I think it was something to do with the fact that you could control what was on a television. Yeah. I must have been about six or seven, something like that. It must have been about 1977, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. So I was born in 71. And I remember they had an attract mode, which is where they just demo how the game works while it says insert coin. Uh And if I didn't have 10p... Is that what it's called, an attract mode? Attract mode. It's quite a good good phrase to know. And I would convince myself I was playing it, that it had gone wrong and had given me a free game, if you see what I mean. So I'd stand there sort of... Well, I, did, I was going to say wiggling the joystick, but I think Space Invaders was two buttons for left and right. Uh-huh. And from then, I was just slightly... I was just sort of... I don't know. I always thought there was something kind of magical about them. I remember seeing Pac-Man on a ferry, and we were all queuing up to play. It was on a school trip to France or something like that. So I can vividly remember these things. And then sort of I got a ZX-80, which was pre the ZX-81. Mm-hmm. It was, this is really nerdy, actually. So, um, so, so for younger listeners, a ZX-80 was basically... It was probably about on the level of something you'd get now in a greetings card to sort of, <laughs> to power a tune or something like that. It couldn't even do that. It couldn't make music, but it could do nothing. And it was black and white, and you could program it. I got it in a jumble sale. What would you do on it? I never had one of those. Like, you're learning basic programming on there. You couldn't really do anything. I was hoping it would play games. Yeah. But really, the only game I had was in the manual, and you had to type it in. And it was called something like Cheese Nibbler. Uh-huh. And it showed a grey block that it said was cheese and you had to push a button. It had like a flat sort of keyboard, no actual moving keys. You had to touch a button to make a little bit of the cheese disappear. And when you did it all, it told you how long it had taken you. That was the game. <laughs> um, so it wasn't very good. And then I got a ZX Spectrum. Like yeah. I begged for a ZX Spectrum for Christmas and got one of those. And then I was sort of off playing games constantly yeah they were pretty good I mm. never had one of those but I do remember spending an evening round at a friend's mm-hmm. playing some sort of game where you appeared to be flying through space there were stars coming at you and you could make certain decisions it was a little bit elite. like was it elite was it three dimensional yeah of? yeah wireframe maybe white? I think so it was yeah. a bit like Dungeons and Dragons in space that sounds like elite that's but it was sad. the most exciting night. And this is obviously, I was too young to be involved with any stimulants whatsoever. Right. So this was purely fueled on imagination. Yeah. And it was just the most thrilling evening I can remember. It was like being in a dream that had become real. Yeah. That's absolutely what it felt like. And now, obviously, you look at those games now. And I do look at those games now occasionally. And they look rubbish. Yeah. And they're really almost unplayable but the leap of imagination I guess that you were required to take you'd sort of lean in and and fill in a lot of the blanks and it did feel like there were entire sort of universes in there one of our kids we've got two kids and one's he's five he's about to be six I can recognize myself in him he's completely obsessed with all any computer games and he he can tell you the entire history of Mario for instance, like he'll tell you. In uh, New Super Mario Brothers on the Wii, Luigi can do a spin jump. So he just constantly comes out with this sort of stuff. Yeah. So it must be genetic, I reckon. Well, I sympathise. And you've got downstairs an actual arcade machine, it looks like. But it's not just one No, it's like... Game. It's called a main cabinet. Multiple uh-huh. arcade machine emulator. Yeah. So it's like a mock-up of a Space Invaders cabinet. And inside it's got... 
it can emulate lots of different systems. So sort of arcade games, Spectrum games, Nintendo, you know, you name it. So it's sort of like a museum. That's quite dweeby. I've got a pinball machine as well downstairs. I was never into pinball. No, I didn't like it, but I ju- now see. Weirdly, it's a more it's a better game than you think. Pinball. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and I get quite into configuring those. That I like things you can open up and fiddle with all the bit. I mean, I can't. It's not. I'm not mechanically minded. I can't actually fix it. I'll just sort of try and work out why it's gone wrong. You can supercharge the spring and jazz up the flippers. You can. You can sort of add things. Look at that. Your phone's ringing. Sorry. How unprofessional. That is that? That's my producer, Seamus. Hey, Seamus. I'm fine. I'm just talking to Charlie, actually. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. Oh, God. Yeah, Jesus, Seamus. Je- yeah, sure, no worries. Okay, bye. Uh, Seamus was mortified. Um, <laughs> and I'm now going to put this on airplane mode. I don't know that he sounded mortified enough. No. <laughs> he was crying. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's up there. Mortified, um, yeah. Yeah, the flippers. But you, the thing you said before about Mm. the thrill of being able to control what was happening on a TV screen. Mm. That is the thing that completely blew my mind. I mean, I've got to find a new phrase other than blew my mind for a a moment of just thrilling epiphany when I got the Atari 2600. Yeah. I mean, that was, I suppose, the first big color console Mm -hmm. with cool games, the first... Space Invaders yeah. game. That had a sort of Pac-Man version yeah. on it. Old was... Adver- Morecambe and Wise used to advertise that. Did they? Yeah, if you look that up. Yeah, right. that's weird. So you had that, you had the cartridge-based... Yeah. You had one of those, okay. Yeah, that was the first... Uh, yeah. Well, I had a Binatone Pong console. Yeah. With the... Uh, Dial uh, things. Yeah. It can do all of those, by the way. That right. Thing. It can do all of the... And that was pretty yeah. great. And that yeah. really... For, for a time, I might be misremembering... But for a time, we were like an advert. The whole family gathered around the TV, <laughs> clapping and laughing, playing Pong. Even my dad, you know, it was just rather good fun, isn't it? <laughs> after, after swearing blind that he would never let us get a games console because it would spell the end of our Life. lives. Intellectual lives. We'd never do any work. Right. Our brains would rot. All the scare stories that used to predominate in the media at that point. Do you think, because obviously you're drawn towards the form of television. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're like, do you think, because I think there's a sort of weird connection between that, the ability to control what was on the screen and also, another thing that was also very exciting at the same time is if I saw anything that was like, that was aware it was a television programme, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, repeats of Monty Python where there would be jokes about the BBC Two ident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the young ones where they play with the fact that it was, it was a fictional programme and it was... It was a TV show. I think there's some weird through line there. I don't know quite what it is. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's mm. it, Surely it's as simple as just suddenly having an effect on something that was previously totally impenetrable. Yes. And something that was served to you for you to consume. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Atari 2600 came out, so what's that, late 70s? Yeah. I think we got ours early 80s, 81, 82 or something. There were three channels mm. in the UK. When we got the twenty six hundred, the Atari console back and plugged it in, which took a very long time to figure it out and tune it and everything. Like, what? what there's a tuning knob in the TV? <laughs> anyway, and so we tuned the, the channel and suddenly the Space Invaders screen yeah. came into focus. It must have been like receiving an alien transmission. It really was. Right. And then you plug in your joystick and you're actually 
controlling what's happening on a TV screen. Yeah. It was inexplicably exciting. I just, I I thought about it when I wasn't playing it. I went to bed smiling, thinking about it. Did you dream about it? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always used to find that if you played a particularly vivid game, you'd end up having dreams about it. There's there's something, I don't do that anymore. I'm about Doom. (laughs) Just jump forward to Doom. I'd have lots of dreams about Doom in the 90s. Fun, is, fun dreams or...? No. No, sort of horrible. Because it's quite horrible, Doom. I it? never played Doom. Oh, why are you wuss? Every so often there's a little leap. There's a sort of little technical leap. Like you were saying, when you first get your 2600 and you plug it in and you see that image and it feels like magic. Doom was another one, I think, for me. That was the first time I played a game where uh, it was multiplayer and you dial up using a modem. No way. And you could watch... There's your friend running around in your game. That was that blew my mind, to right. use your favourite phrase. And then recently I had it again with some of the more recent VR stuff. You put it on someone's head and the first thing they do is just start swearing. Yeah. Like, Fucking hell! Yeah. Weirdly, it's things like if you're playing a driving game, it's not really the fact that you're sitting in the car that's unusual. It's that you can turn around and see the detail of the seat behind yeah. you. That's like there's something... Really strange about that. Even going up to the walls in Tomb Raider, I remember. Yeah. And finding that they became blocky and, yes. you know, they were edges to the universe. That was always a little disappointing, but still there was something... Every now and again there would be a glitch in those kinds of games and you would be able to step outside. Yeah, or you'd fall through the floor or something. Right. And suddenly everything's grey and you can sort of see the inverse. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that's quite strange. That was thrilling as well in its um, own way. I think those moments of sort of... Like, again, a PlayStation, that was another one. First time I saw a PlayStation, that was like unbelievable that something mm. that sophisticated could be in your home. It had sex with your mind. <laughs> Basically, yeah, because that was... I was that I'm was trying to think of an alternative to blue my mind. It, 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 it related my mind. It was quite impressive. <laughs> it, I'm either going to go extremely graphic or... Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, but I think those little miracle moments have been happening all the time more recently, like to the point where you're sort of bored of it. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? It's like no, with your phone or with... Like when you first saw something like Uber... And it's like, I don't know if you've used Uber where it's just, you know, you, you tap this thing and the guy shows up in the car 15, before you've had time to go for a piss yeah. and say goodbye to everyone. And that's amazing the first time it happens, but now it's just sort of annoy, immediately annoying if it says it's going to take like three minutes and it takes four, you're immediately sort of aggrieved. That's before all the ethical uh, objections start mounting up. All the ethical... <laughs> well, and that's the other thing is then you start... It's like... I don't know, something like Deliveroo, where you're like, okay, I can see the advantage of this, but also, did you see that thing the other day, there were videos of Deliveroo riders like trying to get through the snow when it was dangerous, no. and they shouldn't have been out, but there was a sort of financial incentive oh, right. like to go out, and they're like sort of snowboarding down streets, or sort of like tumbling headfirst down icy staircases and stuff. So, so um, far, I'm just respecting them more. Well, yeah, but it's like, should you be... I'm joking. <laughs> should you be... Yeah. Well, I don't know. But then there's con- it's convenient, isn't it? It Bloody is convenient. convenient. <laughs> Bloody convenient. I don't know how... I don't know. There's a, there is a convenience versus ethics sort of uh, ratio that I can't quite... That's the, I mean, that, that's the fundamental question of modern life, though, isn't it? Isn't that, that, that's progress and everything else. Is, yeah. It's just one set of people going, okay, that's, that's enough progress now. Let's go back to just digging around in the fields and... Um, yeah, you can't do that. It's just become this big political quagmire, the whole... Or quagmire, someone said. You said quagmire the other day. It's pronounced quagmire. Yeah, what, the, 
the Americans call it a quagmire. I've no idea. I watch so much American TV, yeah. my brain's... I still struggle to remember whether it's schedule or schedule. I don't know that. But then that's... that's what about... Um, you don't say vitamin or anything like that? No. You don't like... You don't say semester. No. And they, well, do, they say semester now, don't they, over here? Don't they? Possibly. Well, they say... Do you call your shows seasons? Do you think in seasons? Yeah, I... Yeah. yeah. But then that's... Uh, yeah, but then that's that, been adopted. Well, there's, and there's a reason for that, isn't there? Because it's because they don't link up. Isn't a series like things in a series? Isn't it? Isn't it? Aren't they in a in a? What's the difference between a series and a serial? I don't know that either. Because the Americans like refer to a serial. A serial is one narrative stretched over multiple episodes. A right. series is just a set of programmes that was produced in one go. I really should know this, shouldn't I? Surely. I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. <laughs> I really should. Surely this is basic stuff. And what is a, what is a programme? Like, a sort of really basic stuff, isn't it? Um, that I should know. Yeah, and we call them seasons, but then... Why not? Yeah. I mean, I don't, that I don't get too hung up about. I got off the politics of progress and... Onto the semantics of, of shows. Yeah. Well, that's because it's more interesting. <laughs> Um, Do you spend I, a lot of time in America? No. The running joke we have on the show is that if we're filming anywhere nice, I don't get to go. Okay. Basically. And also, we haven't, we've never shot in America. We've had things set in America, but they've always been shot elsewhere. So we've, we've shot in South Africa and Canada and places like that for America. But I, I usually, when that's happening, I'm here writing basically, because I'm usually panicking and trying to catch up and just typing at night. I did go to Iceland. And I, stood around in a big coat saying, yes, I, more of that. That's Well, I didn't say any of the yes, more of that. I stood around in a really big coat because they had, like, record snowfall. You know, it's a bit weird being on set and knowing that if there's something that you don't like the look of, you can intervene and change it, ultimately. But you also want to sort of hang back and... You'd make yourself unpopular if you did. Exactly. You can make yourself... But sometimes you kind of have to, Mm -hmm. because there's often a logical thing. There's often a sort of, oh, well... In in Black Mirror, there's certainly often a logical um, reason why a certain thing must happen or mustn't happen. And so sometimes I think people can kind of lose sight of that. So you have to be really pedantic. And so we're going, well, of course, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't know that. That wouldn't be his point of view because it's not really happening because he's actually a USB key that's uh, been lost <laughs> down the back of a sofa. That's actually, I think you'll find what's going on here. So you have to sort of sometimes chip in with that sort of bilge. Yeah. What about the episodes like what everyone calls the Star Trek episode, first yeah. of season four? Yeah. Where was that shot through? That was Twickenham Studios. Was it? So the spaceship was all at Twickenham Studios. So I did get to go. I was there. I was there quite. It was really freezing cold. It was like literally, it was January. The production values on that were incredibly high. So where's that? Is that was that a British VFX team then? Yeah, it was Frame Store. It looked so good. It did look. It did look like a proper sort of thing, didn't it? It That's quite weird. Yeah. So what's the name of the main guy? The breaking. He was in uh, Jesse Plemons. Yeah, there you go. yeah. He's really good. He's, he's really, really, really good. Uh, I mean, they were all. Re- we were really lucky with the cast there, and they were all excellent. He's particular. I'm sounding like I'm now on a junket. <laughs> Everyone was a really blue, bloody big happy family. It was all great. No, but he is. He is really nice. Yeah. I remember him. We had to Skype with him before. So often, you know, like when you're going to cast somebody or you're trying to persuade somebody to take part in something we end up skyping with them uh-huh. which is a bit weird we skyped with him and i remember he went outside for a cigarette during the skype which i was still impressed by even though i don't smoke anymore and yeah i found that sort of 
I don't know. I was impressed. <laughs> I was impressed by that. I know. He took the laptop outside and sort of smoked. Come on, Jesse. And he's yeah. an LA guy as well. Yeah. I think that is impressive. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that. Smoking is cool. Listeners, don't give me a hard time, all right? I'm just saying that... Well, I am saying it's cool. I'm saying smoking's cool. Smoking is... I bet he, I bet he's quit now because he's just... He's about to become a dad. Right. Okay. So, like, I bet he quits. I used to smoke. I used to smoke like a fucker. I used to smoke 60 a day. Did you? Yeah. And that takes real commitment. That's, yeah. I used to smoke in the shower. Shut up. Genuinely. I would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, have a cigarette and go back to sleep. <laughs> I would... I know. How old are you at this point? 25 I started smoking when I was 20 mm. and I stopped when I was 25 okay. because I got up to 60 a day and I thought this is sick yeah <laughs> to smoke in the shower you'd hold it in one hand and you'd wash with the other hand and then you'd pass it over keeping it sort of out of the rain of the shower and, and then you'd swap it round and you'd wash with the other one hand and then usually where I was smoking there was a toilet within <laughs> fag lobbing distance I'm sure on more than one occasion I probably had more than one cigarette in the shower. I reckon. That's how that's how horrifically addicted I was. Were you thinking, ah, this is the life. (laughs) No, I knew it was disgusting. I knew it was shameful. Like while doing it, I probably was groaning. (laughs) Like, oh, what am I doing? I might, as well be st- I might as well be shitting myself as well. Should I just shit myself while I'm here? Might as well shit myself and wash myself with the shit. Um, <laughs> it was sort of... <laughs> and was it easy to give up? No. Oh, man, no. I remember no. um, you being on the patches. I was on patches because I met you years and years. I mean, we can talk about that, but I met you years later after that. Because I'd started again then mm. and I went back. I, I, I first gave up using patches, which you have really vivid dreams. I, you, you were the first person to tell me that mm-hmm. they were sort of huge in scale they were like blockbusters I remember having a dream I had a giant cannon and I was in space and I was firing <laughs> planets into other planets and they were exploding there's probably some terrible symbolism going on there but that it was all happening it was like massive 3D widescreen it was amazing we got in touch with you hoping that you might contribute to the process of making the Adam and Joe show yeah which me and Joe did and once we got to I think the third or fourth series that we did yeah we were like Jesus Christ we need some more ideas <laughs> so that must have been about 1999 I'm guessing 1998 yeah, that right. must have been about then so I was about 28 I'd been presenting a sort of video games program, computer program on BBC Knowledge. Oh, yeah. As it was called then, as BBC4 used to be called. But I hadn't done any TV. I wanted to do sort of TV comedy writing and things like that. So I was really flattered, I remember. And I remember coming in for a sort of ideas meeting. There was you and Joe and Louis Theroux was there. Right, because we only so. ever had two of those. That, that, right. that was our attempt to try and emulate the American right. oh, I see. model okay. of uh, having a writer's room right. and generate material that way. Yeah. And I, I think we got very little out of it because it's just that thing of your sensibility, especially if you make yeah. our stuff was all homemade and mm-hmm. it was shared jokes and there's an art to taking somebody else's ideas mm-hmm. and and doing it your way. Yeah, and we hadn't really mastered that art at that point. It's v- well, it, it, it's 
we don't really have writers' rooms on Black Mirror. Do you we not? have we've occasionally done sort of brainstorming sort of thing. You write the majority of the episodes. Yeah. Because it's such an authored show, it's quite idiosyncratic, and so you end up somebody can have an idea that's perfectly good, but it doesn't quite fit into into your version of it. Either that or it's just I'm a weird control freak. I can't quite work out which one it is. I guess with our show, it's because every episode is different. It helps, actually, if there's a couple of minds across all of them. It does give it some consistency somewhere, even if it's not in the casting or the location or the tone even. There's some flavour somewhere that's the same. No, I remember that one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen on TV is People Place. Oh yeah, that was people place. That was our spoof of kind of daytime. Everything on everything that did that it was sort of every BBC One sort of eleven thirty a.m. sort of show. It was inspired particularly by a show called Shopping City, which was set in a mall. I don't know if it was always the same mall. Our people place thing would go to a different mall each time. Yeah. And the presenter of Shopping City would run around and basically it was exactly the same as our thing. Right. Have little challenges, uh, little games <laughs> in over by Dixon's or whatever, and then they'd run over to the fashion hour. Everything was at this breathless pace. Yeah. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. You're on the spot. What's in your bag? Etc. <laughs> Etc. Et we didn't really have to do too much. No, to... I remember that particularly a bit where you were impressed by a sort of mug tree. Oh yes. Give it a whiz and mugs there is. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, oh, that's good. I'm so glad you like that. I can't remember why I said that. I was just complimenting you. That's very nice. But, Thanks. I'll um, take it. And uh, then you, <laughs> and then and then I think the next contact we had with you was possibly when you were preparing to do Nathan Barley. And yes. Do you, do you remember when we sat in a cafe in Poland Street? You, me, Chris Morris, and Joe, and we looked at um, copies of ID. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. That's one of these... Because the process of making that show lasted forever. Sorry, that's my phone. That's a number I don't recognise. I might have to answer it just a sec. Hang on. Hello? Who's that? From who? Oh, go away. Oh, oh it's, it's a robot one. It's a robot one. Uh, that was unbelievable. The, the new little... ones that go, hello? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yes. There's a little gap and you're like, yeah, hello. And then it kicks off. I've got information about your accident. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was. So I'm always like, oh my God, that's the school. One of the kids has fallen over or something like that. Um, Yeah, fucking bastards. Yeah, no, so Nathan Barley, the gestation period for that was so long, I was convinced this is never going to happen because we were talking about it before the Brass Eye Pedo special. Right. Like, which was... And that was, like, 2001. Yeah. And Nathan Barley went out in 2005. So there was a long period where me and Chris would just meet up and talk about it. And I didn't... I'd not really written many TV things before. And I was like, I don't... That was your first narrative thing, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And Chris is someone who's really good, I think, actually, at doing that thing of (laughs) using people for their ideas. (laughs) But, you know, like, like, he's very good at... He sort of thrives on that quite a bit, or he's maybe he's good at tuning in to somebody's sensibility. Yeah, finding like yeah, finding the funny, finding the for exactly. I exactly. oh, found the funny in this. <laughs> That's how he'd say it. I think. Yeah. Whoops! I've just bumped up against a big chunk of funny. Uh, <laughs> That's that how he talks. Thanks for the day. A lot of funny. <laughs> a lot of funny. See you tomorrow. 
<laughs> yeah, so that was probably, that must have probably been during the period when I thought this is surely never going to happen, this show, because it's been years now, we're just sort of talking about it. It's like, I don't know that this is ever going to happen. And then it was suddenly actually happening. What was your Nathan Barley thing in TV Go Home based on that? In the 90s, I'd been living in a flat in, like, Notting Hill. which And it was a flat that I should not have been able to afford to rent, basically. And I lived there with a friend of mine. And we, like, lived in this tiny flat. And it's because it only had one room. And so one, we had to convert the living room into one of the bedrooms every evening, sort of thing. And I was working at the computer exchange as a shop assistant in Rathbone Place or Whitfield Street and then Rathbone Place. But the, the area I was living in, I guess it was becoming gentrified at the time. I'm not quite sure. But certainly I was aware that quite suddenly there were lots of sort of people standing around outside pubs talking loudly about screenplays they were claiming to be doing and things like this. And I was just full of angry resentment. I just thought all these people knew how to get what they wanted and were doing it and were standing outside a pub loudly bragging about it while I was on my way off to work and how fucking unfair is the universe and and I bet they're not doing that fucking screenplay anyway, that cunts. So it was sort of that. So it was channeling that sort of aggression and resentment. And so I was quite angry a lot of the time. I would either be angry because... You'd watch something on TV and you'd think, oh, that's terrible. How come they got to do that? Or it was really good. And then you'd think, oh, I could never do that. Oh, God. Um, And so you you couldn't win. Unless you found something that was just mediocre enough. And the answer Mm. is to sort of make your own niche, isn't it, really? I mean, I don't know. I mean, weirdly, I suppose there, what happened was I managed to channel that anger yeah. into something because the TV Go Home listings were really angry. They were, the rage just radiated yeah. from the screen. But then I've always found that quite funny. I mean, yeah. it's always like a funny, <laughs> in my head, and the tone of that is sort of similar to when I was doing TV review columns in The Guardian. Yes. Similarly sort of unreasonably angry. Yeah. Is the sort of, basic joke is that the ang for me is that the anger is basically unreasonable <laughs> sometimes it was genuine anger and well it was usually based on something but i would ramp it up to whip sort of, yourself into a pitch of furious indignation until it would just become funny and sort of ridiculous it's like yeah. a ridiculous level of anger so yeah that's but then some people tend to take that literally don't they yeah I remember getting an email from a reader once and they'd said, oh, here's a, I've written a piece that I think you'll think is funny. And they attached it and it was all about Kerry Katona. And it was just like this horrible sort of like, yeah, she's a bitch. And sort of laughing about her sort of personal problems and things like that. And I thought, oh, oh, is that what people think I'm doing? Is that what... So he thinks I'll like that. Maybe this isn't being received in the way I think it is, what I'm doing all the time. I don't know if that was just one person's slightly odd interpretation. Were you ever the kind of person that went online and ranted in chat forums about stuff? Not really, no. And so do you ever visit those places now and find out what people think about Black Mirror and look at the best to worst list of all Black Mirror episodes? Oh, I have looked at those, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you sort of can't not look at those in a way. I mean, some people say never look at... Like... I think there is an assumption, and this is what I used to do in the 90s. The core assumption I made that was wrong was I would watch things on TV and I would assume that the people making them 
were slapping themselves on the back. Yes. And going, oh, we're brilliant. I'm a genius. This is the best I could possibly do. And then, of course, as soon as you start making anything yourself, you realise that it's difficult or there's compromises or things go wrong or you don't have enough money or enough time. or There's so many things that get in between. So when you read a sort of criticism which the person is assuming that you think what you've done is peerless and brilliant, that can be quite irritating because, yeah. of course, you know what the flaws in anything that you're making are. I think I'm better at just ignoring it now. Yeah. Because you sort of have to. And because when you're writing constantly, you're like thinking, this is shit. Oh, God. What's the process? You 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 think of an idea. You think of an idea. And then you do you just bash out the first draft that is just there for structural purposes and you don't get hung up on each line? Or how does it work? Well, it's a bit more... So what happens is... So Annabelle, who's the co-showrunner, Annabelle Jones is my co-showrunner. And what happens is we'll be yabbering and I'll say, oh, here's an idea. So, um, what if the internet had a temper? <laughs> and she'll go, what do you mean? And, and we'll expand it from there. That's the one thing that annoys me is when people go, oh, that's the Black Mirror's that show about computers are bad for you. Yeah, I know that. Thanks, mate. Oh, what's this show that we're looking at our phones too much? I know that. Thanks, Pat. Like, I don't fucking know how ridiculous a lot of the concepts are. Fuck you. I'm pissing myself, you fucking cunt. Um, so, so often it's a silly idea, basically. Um, fucking, yeah, he's cunts. Uh, so often it's a silly idea. And, um, and then once you sort of know when you've got a story, you know when it's become a sort of story, once you know what the ending is, basically, I'll write up a sort of two-page synopsis mm-hmm. of it, send that to Netflix. That forces you to... I never used to be that structured. I'd make things up as I went along. Yeah. But uh, they'll come back with feedback on it. But that forces you to think of what the actual story is in a basic way. And then I write the first draft as quickly as I can. And I can be really quick. I've written episodes in like two days or something like that. And other times it takes weeks or, you know. And how, so, what about the plotting of the thing? Do you sort of work backwards? Do you have your board full of cards and shift those around? or? It, really depends on the sort of thing it is quite often our stories tend to be quite simple Uh so it's often like somebody is stuck in a trap of some description and it there's a logical progression to what goes on but sometimes when we've done more complicated ones where there's all sorts of logic involved then you have to sort of get the flow chart out pretty much okay San Junipero, which is the one that was set in the 1980s, that's a lot of people's favourite. It's a a romance set in the 1980s. Oh, that's the one I haven't seen, but I read about it. You haven't seen that? That's the one everyone likes, you fool. (laughs) You should watch that one. Um, That was was really quite... That was a weirdly quick one Mm. to write. And we're doing some more at the moment. So because people came to expect the show to be nihilistic and bleak and have a horrible ending and for people to be left devastated at the end of each episode. (laughs) Once you've established that as a pattern, it's quite difficult to A, maintain it, and B, not get bored of it. Do you know what I mean? But equally, I'm aware that if we just did six happy endings, that's also not really what you come to watch the show for. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at a, a season, I guess it's like putting an album together and going, where's the love song and the... 
oh, we need a sort of angry rock track. Is that how they talk when they're putting an album together? Yeah. Where's the the angry rock track That's what Radiohead talk about. Oh, is it? Where's where's the love song, Tom? You're going to write some love lyrics? Impressed by the fact that you had Jodie Foster directing an episode. Yes. Holy Christmas. Did you meet her? Well, yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. She was very nice. We had to Skype with her first. That was quite weird because it's Jodie Foster on the screen. Yeah. And talking to her. That's the future. You know what? She seems very, very, very normal. Like for someone who's like been in the public eye since they were, what, three? Yes. Which is crazy. And had so many strange twists and turns in their professional life, not exactly. least that whole horrible Hinckley. That? Yeah, she has that. I mean... John Hinckley had seen Taxi Driver. And he tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan to impress Jodie Foster. That's right. Which parallels what Travis Bickle, Robert De Niro's character, does in Taxi Driver. He tries to rescue... Jodie Foster's character from a brothel? Or from, yes. No, from a pimp. From Harvey Keitel. From Harvey Keitel. That's, God, it's a seedy film, isn't it? That is really... It's shockingly violent. I saw yes. it recently again. I, you know, I watched it. You, you watch these things sometimes in your teenage years where yeah. you're just consuming everything, everything, give me everything. And you're like, yeah, 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 it bounces off you. And then I saw it again, I mean, about 10 years ago, but still I was like, whoa, it's, it's extreme. Really... But then I remember, you see, Taxi Driver, there's an interesting one, because I, our sensibilities change over time. In that, so Taxi Driver, I remember watching when I was a teenager, and the reason I wanted to watch it was because I'd heard, this is nasty. Yeah. It's a nasty, shocking, dark, you're reeling out of the room, being sick and crying. <laughs> um, I would seek out films that were horrible and disturbing. Me and Joe were like that too. Yeah, yeah. It's, what's that about? And now... I remember a couple... I don't know if it's becoming a parent or what it is. You know that point when your kids are, like, really young and there's a point where you just don't get any sleep at all, no spare time at all whatsoever to yourself? You know, any spare moment you have is precious. And even enough time to watch a film is a bit of a novelty and a treat. Mm. And I remember one night, I think it's just after we'd moved in here and our kids had actually gone to sleep. Connie and I were like, oh, what should we do? We could watch a film. Let's watch a movie. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, there's a film that's just gone on. It's like a rare Australian film from the 70s that apparently is like really good. And what I'd heard was it was disturbing. And, and it was called Wake in Fright. Have you ever seen Wake in Fright? Never heard of it. Wake in Fright is exactly the sort of film I would have probably liked when I was 17, 18 years old. It's horrible. It's so uncomfortable. It's about a teacher in Australia who finds himself in this small sort of... Australian equivalent of a redneck town and everyone there is disturbing, drinks a lot, there's a lot of drugs and fighting. There's a sequence in the middle where they get drunk and go in a jeep and drive out into the outback and start shooting kangaroos dead. And it's real footage of real kangaroos being blasted apart. Oh my God. Live kangaroos. It's like unwatchably horrifying. Connie was like, why did you make me watch that? I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. I've spoiled the evening. We should have just watched Bake Off. Anything. I love watching 
It's, I'll watch like, yeah, MasterChef. <laughs> yeah, man, we watched Great British Bake Off, the celebrity one for Stand Up to Cancer the mm-hmm. other day with Harry Hill and Roisin Cornity and people like that on there. It was really funny. Are you tempted to bake off? Be on it? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I would get the call, but if I did, yeah, wouldn't be averse. Yeah, you I like off. Harry Hill was really funny because he, he did his best. His um, cakes were really good. Oh, he was genuinely good? I think so. He just really tried hard. I think that's what I would do. That would right. be my tactic. I'd be too insecure. Yeah. I'd go, ah, oh, I'm shit at but I'd fucking defecate into the pan or something. Would you, ever do, would you just... ever do a reality show? It would be weird though, wouldn't it? It see... would be really weird. <laughs> After where you came from and everything. I know. It would be... And I've been asked. I don't think I would, mainly because of the toilets. Like, I wouldn't do Big Brother because of the toilet situation. What do you mean? Well, you know what it's like? I don't like going to the toilet in somebody else's house. Uh-huh. Like it's... Because you're a germaphobe. Not because I'm a germ. I am a germaphobe. Yeah. But because it's shameful, isn't it? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Shitting is, is a shameful activity. Oh, I see. Right? It's shameful. So, if you're in somebody else's house, you don't go... If you're staying there for a couple of days... And they've only got, like, one loo. It's like a fucking minefield. And imagine being in the Big Brother house with a load of celebrities and cameras everywhere and microphone. You're mic'd up. And you, there's only one little toilet that they all have to use. So you have to go in there. Everyone in there knows that you've gone for a shit, like, when you've gone for a shit. You'd have to time it, really. I don't like, I don't like shitting on a plane. I don't like shitting in a public toilet. I don't look. Um, the only way I can shit in a public toilet is if I've got like I'm listening to music and I put earphones in and then I can blast away. It's like it's not really happening. Uh, do you know what I mean? But you, you don't like the idea of other people imagining you doing your business. Is that it? I think so. Don't you have this? No. What? That's, so, one, that's one of the very few hang-ups I don't have. What? I think it's surely quite common. I remember. But if you okay, so if you're in a public toilet, mm. right, doing a poo, mm-hmm. that's not an unusual scenario. So, uh, so you just nod at that. You're just like, oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It's happened. I'm not a. I know what you mean. Would you hold it if you could? Would you wait till you got hurt? Yeah, yeah. Of course you would, because you're not an animal. But I don't mind. Every now and again, it will occur to me like. Oh, I don't need to hold this. There are public toilets. They have yes. lockable doors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, and the other thing is, especially in airports for some reason, yes. I think uh, you go in there and everyone's just a big windbag. They've got off yeah. the plane or pressure or something. And so you go into a airport toilet and it's just... <laughs> <laughs> from every cubicle. Yeah. And everyone's like, ah, doesn't matter. <laughs> That's where I learned the, um, the music in the ears trick. Uh-huh. Was because exactly that I was had a it was I was at an airport in between two connecting flights and I had to go because it was you know it was like I it was impaled on a banister I was like <laughs> you know that feeling where it's just like there's a sort of clay spine wedged inside me and uh, I've got to get it out and uh, <laughs> so so like I went in there and I was just and everyone around me was merrily shitting away like. Pretty much, it was like a musical, like the like joy de vivre, which they were just fucking emptying their bums, and, and I'm there, really all hung up, and I had to, and I, I had to put loud music on so I couldn't hear my own noises, and then I just let it, like, went for it. Um, it was sort of life affirming. What about the jungle? Would you go in the jungle? No, similar reason. 
Well, no, two reasons. One, there's the, I mean, they're, they're shitting in a hole, aren't they, basically? Yeah. And they're, they're always they're talking it. about it. How about Bear Grylls Island? Um, You're on there for I, longer, but it's less... It's not fixed rig cameras. It's not constant surveillance in that same way. <laughs> uh, it's, there should be a guide to the comfort of the shit and versus the show. That would be my first question yeah. to the producers, is where, where does the... I mean, not that I ever shit, because that's a shameful thing, but where would I? If I had to on Bear Grylls Island, when does, he, does he watch me? Does he have to coach me through it? Does he does he cradle my face? Charlie's taking an amazing shit. <laughs> That's it. Really, Come on. really good. It's coming out brilliantly. So important to take a shit every few hours. Keep your energy up. And Charlie's taking a great one. <laughs> that would be the worst. No, I wouldn't, because I think it would probably involve insects. I don't uh-huh. like spiders either. Oh, okay. I'm sure that and I wouldn't go in the jungle for that reason, because they, they're like, hey, oh, you don't like spiders? <laughs> well, for this challenge, we're going to put spiders under your eyelids. <laughs> and put one up your bum. And, and don't leave your, your, your willy. Yeah, your clothes, your pants are full of spiders. <laughs> oh, you're going to be sick. There's a lot of being sick on there. So you're going to be sick. You're going to be sick. Mouthful of spiders, you're going to be sick. So, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do it for all those reasons. Hello, my friend, it's good to see you again. I've got to say you're looking great. I love what you've done with your nipples and your knees and your shiny bald pate. I listened to you on um, Desert Island Discs. That's a fun thing to do. Yeah, was it? She was really nice as well. She Because I read somebody going, I saw somebody going, oh God, it's really awkward. She seems to hate him. Oh no, she, I didn't get that. Uh, oh, she, well, she, if she did, she hid it really, really well. It's really difficult picking your eight songs though. That's a right. nightmare. Afterwards, I thought, oh, I should have put this in. I should have put that in. And you end up, because you don't try and choose just your eight favourite. Really, you're you're supposed to sort of. They don't really explicitly say this, but you know you're meant to choose eight tracks that will help tell a story uh-huh. about your life. So, I mean, I listen to a lot of music, but I tend to listen to instrumental music a lot yes. of the time. Well, while I, writing. I remember you introduced me to Granddaddy. Oh, did um, I? Yeah, because uh, that was the theme for Screenwipe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, from yeah. the Software Slump. Yeah. And um, it's a good, very good album. That it's really good. Yeah, you played a video game track on Desert Island Disc. Yes, Robocop, the Ariston ad, as yeah. well as it's known. Yeah, I love all that music. That, that I, there's something about the how simple it is, and and the the fact that it loops. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, really I used to it. listen to that from the on off the Game Boy like it was a Walkman. Yeah, basically just that looping round and round and round. I found it sort of haunting. I've got a sort of playlist that I've built for writing. It's all things like Pie Corner Audio and like... The, and Spotify is amazing because you sort of build a playlist and then... It What's just go, Pie Corner Audio? Like lots of like... Bom, 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 bom. A bit Radiophonic Workshop meets Halloween. Yes. <laughs> Basically, or The Thing. And Stranger Things. It's, yes, it's that sort of tone. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff like that that I'll write to because I find that helps somehow... Because you want to get into that space where you've lost track of time, mm-hmm. basically. And if there's lyrics when I'm writing, it that distracts me. And often I don't like singers. There's, there's a weird thing. There's very few singers I like, I realised. Oh, really? Because I think they're cunts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, quite often, 
when British singers do a sort of transatlantic, you know, that oh yeah, you know, like um, that accent, that yeah. British singers, which weirdly, weirdly, I really like Radiohead, even though Tom York sort of does it a bit, doesn't he? I'm trying to think, but then he he sings so in such an unusual JPEG sort of way. <laughs> we used to we had a, a spoof Radiohead song we used to sing. Uh, we at Zephyrtron we're in the, the, the called JPEG JPEG <laughs> yeah, which was JPEG that was that was part of the lyric it was another lyric that was right. I can't remember why JPEG because it sounded like a. it was around Key Day time okay it right. sounded like Technophere yeah JPEG <laughs> Listening to Desert Island Discs, it uh, was mm-hmm. funny how similar your experiences, especially your formative cultural experiences, were to mine. Mm-hmm. Watching too much TV, mm-hmm. check. Ending up s- screaming at the TV, check. Worrying about the end of the world. Yeah. Massive tick. Yeah. Because even though you were born a couple of years after me, I think you had that same experience of being consumed by nuclear fear. Mm. And we were exactly the right age to have nightmares about that slew of programs. When the wind blows. When the wind blows. Yeah. The old men at the zoo, do you remember that one? I didn't see that, no. I no. That was a bit more of a strange BBC play. It was a bit more allegorical. Mm-hmm. But certainly the day after. Threads. Threads. Yeah. Did you ever see the QED? A Guide to Armageddon? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I got that. I, when we were doing Screenwipe, I dug it up out of the archive. And Did that incorporate it. some of the public information films about how you were supposed to take the door off the hinges and hide it under showed you, Yeah, well, it showed you how rubbish that was. Okay. It showed you how useless, how that wouldn't basically help. That you'd just die in a pit screaming <laughs> in your own shit. No, but there's a bit in in that where they intercut photographs of people's faces, just candid photos, just random people in the street, fast intercut with a, a sort of loin of pork hanging on a hook, being exposed to the temperatures that a nuclear blast would uh, generate. So it's just all this crackling, bubbling, burning flesh intercut really quickly with pictures of just average members of the public. I remember seeing that. I must have been like. I don't know, 11? That's... I was not in a good place after that. And it seemed inevitable, didn't it? It seemed yeah. absolutely like it was definitely going to happen. The most nightmarish thing for me was how blasé everyone was. Yes, yes, like, absolutely. Why isn't everyone crying or talking about this or trying to sort it out all the time? Yeah. Why isn't this, like, number one on the news? Yeah. It's still happening, everyone. There's still... Nuclear bombs are still a thing. No, I could never understand that. It's exactly that. It's what, how can anyone walk around and think about kitchens? Like, what's the point in yeah. getting some wallpaper? How's that wallpaper going to look when it's fucking burning off the wall, you cunt? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? Get, get a fucking grip. That's what it seemed like, because it seemed like a crisis. But then you grow up and you realise, well, that's life anyway, though, isn't it? I guess. I mean... I don't know how I feel at the moment. I keep I keep worrying about the end of the world a bit at the moment. Not really. The, I don't worry about the end of the world because actually I sort of worry less about nuclear war now. Oddly, it's more oh god, what if it all turns into a giant fascist state? That's mm. that's the, that's the. But then I try and console myself by thinking that all the things I've worried about have never quite happened. How would you cope in a post-apocalyptic environment, do you think? How long would you bother? No, I'd be dead. I I would be gone. By your own hand? uh, No, I'd just be one of the first to go. (laughs) Like, when I... Have you ever been and and done paintballing or anything like that? Laser tag? Yeah. Yeah. 
I just do those things and I immediately die. Oh, I immediately get quite killy. Do you? Yeah, I get. I mean, quite, I, I, I mean, I'm not great at that. I but I really want to kill people when I do sure. those things. Yeah, no, I've done it now a few times at centre parks when I go with my boys. And now, mm. I mean, I was upset last time we went. They changed the whole playing field around. I was like, holy Christ, there's like five years worth of tactics down the toilet. <laughs> I had my favourite tree where I used to go and so hide and pick people on, off. And... But surely it's meant to be, if it's training you for a post-apocalyptic environment, which is, I'm sure, what centre parks have in mind, <laughs> then really, surely part of that is to expect the unexpected. You, you should be able to wander into any kind of killing arena and just look around and immediately assess it. You can't expect after the bomb goes off and you're wandering around in the fucking wilderness to have your tree and your sort of layout that you want, you fucking... Who do you think you are? Um, this, this is what I'm saying. This is why I'm going to die. Because, there, because you... there won't be a convenient bundle of sticks over by the tyres. I think I would immediately kill myself. <laughs> I think I would immediately... It depends on the degree of the calamity. Yeah. If it was clear that, like, there was never going to be Wi-Fi ever again, <laughs> I would kill myself. Like, I think most people would. Because what's the fucking point? Really, like, you know, um, what would it be to make it not worth living anymore? I mean, and maybe Wi-Fi is a bit too low a bar. But, like, um, like no hot water. You, you have to live in a cave... For the rest of your, your life... I'm not to... worried about those scenarios. Well, There's living a... in a cave? Yeah. What, you'd be okay with that? Sure. Oh. Like cave painting, games... You what? know, it's Games? It, yeah. What sort of games? Just word games. Right. <laughs> Scratching, you know, noughts and crosses on the wall with a bit of charcoal. And then you start drawing and, you know, it's like you've got all... Yeah, you're painting you, a rosy picture. You've got a wealth of human knowledge to help you start again. And uh, build your own utopia from scratch. I think it's beyond that, though, isn't it? Because you can't now. Now you'd have to you'd have to look stuff up on Wikipedia or something, and you can't <laughs> do that. I could probably work out how to start a fire. Yeah, um, I could because I've watched so many Bear Grylls. Programs. Oh, that's what I haven't done. You need to do that, mate. I could drink my own piss. I could start fires. I could forage grubs. Why do you drink your own piss? Cockroaches. Is drinking your own piss actually worthwhile? Does it keep you alive? <sighs> no, I just plucked that out. But, but <laughs> you can certainly drink. The other day, he was in the desert in Arizona, <laughs> and half of it seemed to be just completely fixed. Right. I've jumped out of a plane in a flight suit, and now I'm down in Arizona in the desert. It's incredibly hot. He said at one point. It's like an incredibly dry oven. <laughs> As opposed to a damp oven. It's like an incredibly dry oven down here. We come across the wreckage of a, a small microlite that could possibly have uh, been used to ferry drugs. A lot of people ferry drugs in this part of the world. But this is great because there's a lot of aluminium tubing that could be very useful to us. And so first of all, he rigged up a little buggy from the three wheels of this crashed microlight. That's a fix, isn't it? That yeah. they stumbled across. Like he's the Yay team. Yeah, exactly. Right. And he had his uh, parachute that he jumped out of the plane in. He grabbed onto the parachute and he was pulled along by the wind across the desert using his improvised buggy that he'd made from the crashed microlight. And then he had to find water. The most important thing is to find water. You've got to get water. It's the rule of three. You can live for three minutes without air, 
three days without water or three weeks without food. You need water. You're only going to live for three days without water. That's the rule of three. That's Bear Grylls' rule of three. He finds a stagnant pond. It's green and it's got insects jumping around it. Water! We found some! Now it looks horrible, it stinks and it's filthy. But using <laughs> one of the aluminium poles from the microlite, I can make a filter and drink the water from this stagnant pond. Well, so hang on. Well, if he hadn't found this fucking microlite, yeah. he'd have been... So it's a, the whole thing is a con. It is a con. You need to find a crashed microlite, otherwise you're dead. He's a fucking... What a liar. <laughs> but if you find the microlite, if you've got a pole, or even he said you can do it with bamboo if you haven't got a pole from a microlite. <laughs> which you haven't. <laughs> because that would never happen. Which you're highly unlikely to. <laughs> But if you do have some sort of cylinder or straw, you jam a bit of charcoal down. You can always find some charcoal in the desert because the lightning strikes and causes fires. And then there's charcoal. So find a bit of charcoal. And make a filter. And you stuff it in the pipe. And then you put a few rocks down it and a bit of straw. And then you can use the whole thing. You just suck the water up through this pipe. And then he goes, and then just for a bit of extra filtration... You can take your sock off and put your sock over the end of it and suck it through the straw. Doesn't taste good, but it's going to keep you alive. <laughs> that's good information to know. I mean, that's what I'm going to be doing in the apocalypse. <laughs> no, 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 no. In the course of vaguely reminding myself of some of the stuff I used to play video game-wise, mm-hmm. I came across this thing about Custer's Revenge. Did you ever hear of this video Custer's game? Revenge was a sex game. Yeah. We did a games sort of edition of Screenwipe called Gameswipe. Oh, and yeah. I think we saw it as part, or it came up as part of that. I don't, can't remember if we put it in the show... It was like a rude game. It was beyond rude. There were quite a few... I mean, it was... Actually, yes, it was... Adult video game produced by Mystique for the Atari 2600, released in 1982. In the game, the player controls the character of Custer, General Custer, depicted as a man wearing nothing but a cavalry hat, boots and a bandana, sporting a visible erection. Custer (laughs) has to overcome arrow attacks to reach the other side of the screen. His goal is to have sex with a naked Native American woman tied to a pole. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like extreme satire, (laughs) doesn't it? (laughs) The game's designer, Joel Miller, said Custer was, quote, seducing the maiden and that she was a, quote, willing participant. Ultimately, the game was withdrawn from circulation. (laughs) I didn't... (laughs) Right, I hadn't realised it was a commercially available product. Yeah. (laughs) Ranked 10th on the list of most racist video games in history. (laughs) (laughs) There were quite... I seem to remember that we found... There was another game where it was like Space Invaders, but you're... It was like reverse Space Invaders. There were sort of dicks in the sky, Uh spitting semen (laughs) down, and you were somebody at the bottom swallowing it. (laughs) <laughs> to sort of go left and right with and open your mouth and eat it. It's weird. They don't really do that now, do they, with games? Do they not? Do they? Well, I don't think so. I'm sure, I'm sure you could get some weird things from Japan. So maybe it's because you wouldn't... There's fewer... Where would a game like that come out? 
Well, I, mean, I, I suppose it's if be... I see quite a few X-rated adverts for naughty games every now and again, do you? I'm in the wrong places on the internet. Right, you see, maybe I'm just too clean living. <laughs> yeah. Like what? What? Like sort of. You are a bum. Like... 3D bum simulator. <laughs> You're a bum. <laughs> You're a bum going through a. Ma- you have to avoid other bums and bash against some boobs. <laughs> no, it's 3D nothing. 3D bum and boob breakout. <laughs> Boobulon. What? Like it's nothing that I've Warcraft. Like... Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, okay. It's weird. You don't really get much sexual activity happening in games generally, do you? I never understood the desire to fuse those two worlds it's like one is over there for that time Mm -hmm. and one is over there for that I don't need to think about sex while I'm having video games but I can see the appeal of a silly sort of like the the classic knob doodle in the margins of an exercise no but nowadays though it's so sophisticated that it would probably be be like virtual porn yes it would be horrible (laughs) yes it would be just weird yeah and there must be a load of stuff like that surely and uh, 3D porn games you mean VR pornography games surely isn't that the first thing that's always done with any new bit of technology? It's, it's pornography. Porn, yeah. It'll be like that bit in Brainstorm when the guy's got a tape of someone shagging a, a young... Right. Okay. I've never seen Brainstorm, but I know, I know the storyline because I was worried that something we were doing was too similar to Brainstorm. So oh. I, do they put it through an amplifier or something? And uh, maybe that was the thing I was suggesting in the story, was that you could record the experience of somebody having sex and amplify it. This guy takes the safety protocols off. Right. So that his heart rate is allowed to just go where it will. Right. And it's this old guy who gets a tape of someone having sex and he puts the brain box on and And uh, imagines that he's having sex but his his old ticker can't take it. Right. And it's a loop of, it's a sort of orgasm, greatest hits loop that this guy's given him. Right. So he's just like... you could once you've got an experience like once you can record a human experience you could edit it into any fucking shape you wanted so you could do that you could give someone an orgasm that lasts for six weeks and goes backwards and upside down this that and the other or is a whole sort of like a choir of 20 people's orgasms all fused together in one sort of polyphonic (laughs) orgasm or you could do things like you could record the experience of having a shit but like fiddle with the parameters so that the shit is as wide as a car (laughs) make someone experience that so you're shitting something the size of a car <laughs> and it would feel exactly what that would feel like do you think people would do it for like stag do's <laughs> come on Colin we're going out we're going to what are we doing first you're going to shit a car <laughs> then you're going to be fucking an elephant <laughs> from inside the body of a giraffe brave new world yeah so that's we got that to look forward to I don't know what I mean what the fucking hell can you imagine what it's going to be like being like a fucking teenage boy or something when that stuff's around like what the fucking hell's that going to be like what are you going to do with your children and like the internet and all that shit so Covey who's nearly six he's five at the moment but he'd gone and switched the playstation on and was using my account They rolled out some new feature where you could sort of follow people, a bit like on Twitter. And I only found this out a few days later. Someone had sort of followed me or him, because it's not under my name or anything. And he'd been communicating with them. Mm. And it it was nothing sinister. It was somebody in America who lived in a town that was the same name as my 
screen name that I was using. And they were just conversing with him. And he was just responding with like, yes, <laughs> no, because he couldn't, you know, he's five. He can't really type that much. So I had to have the people on the internet conversation right. with him. I wasn't anticipating having that when he was five. I ended up showing him, remember the, the Charlie Says public information yeah. films from when we were kids and it was the cat, the one with the puppies, the one with the... Sure. the Charlie and me were in the park and we were on the swings and suddenly a man came up and said, would we like to see some puppies? And I said, yes. Um, and it's really disturbing. I saw the prodigy sample, didn't they? Yes. What? It's Kenny Everett, that was. Was it? It's Kenny Everett doing that. Doing the voice of the cat. That was the prodigy bit, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it really, I think it disturbed him, those cartoons. It's eerie. I showed him the young ones the other day. Oh, how was that? He was really laughing really quickly at Rick Mail dancing in the kitchen to the very first episode. He thought that was hilarious. I'm smiling just thinking about it. Um, and then, like, quite quickly, there's a bit where Vivian, like, stamps up and down on his hamster and shoves it in a toaster. And I thought, oh, yeah. Stamps on SPG. Yeah. Don't, should I show him this? I don't know. But then it was all right because then the hamster eats all the lentils and swells up like a balloon and does a fart and flies oh, around the room. Yeah. And he was laughing again. Holy I mean, I, I feel as if I could recite every single one of those episodes. Uh, Nosing Around was in the... Nosing Around, Nosing around. around, Nosing Around. That was, I think that was in the first one. And that's like, it's mental to watch that show. That as was well. Ben Elton. Ben Elton. Like, if you're a young adult... Adult. Weird how there's weird phrases that stick in your head for years and yeah. years and years. The one that comes in, is always in my head from the young ones is, um, I'm tying my dog to the, the railroad track. track. Choo-choo train's gonna, gonna break his back. We used to call him Spot, uh-huh, but now he's, he's called Splat. That's the kind of person we are. Oh, baby, won't you come home with me? <laughs> it's weird. And I didn't know what the hell it was all about. Because no. no. they, well, they were taking the piss out of sort of Rat Pack-style crooners. Yeah, but that goes yeah. straight over your I don't head. know uh, <laughs> that is. I don't think I understood half anything that Lexi Sale was saying. No, and he'd come on and he'd start talking about Solzhenitsyn or something, and you're like, I don't really don't know what, but I'm going with it. It's because I, I I aspire to understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know what the equivalent of that is today for because I must have been what eleven, twelve when that was on. I don't know what the equivalent for kids now is. I suppose it must be on YouTube. Right, when he was a bit younger, Kobe wanted to watch like Stampy Cat, who's a Minecraft YouTuber, mm. all the time. And he's very wholesome. Stabby. Hi, everyone. Hi, here we are in Minecraft again. You know, and he laughs like Jimmy Carr, weirdly. <laughs> like, sort of always. <laughs> it's like a car alarm. <laughs> um, or a squeaky bit of furniture in, a, in another room that somebody's fucking on. <laughs> uh, something with a really jaunty tempo. <laughs> um... Uh, I don't know where I've got onto that. But, um, uh, Stampy Cat. So I was like, what the fuck is this they're watching? What the fuck? And I sat there and watched it and went, uh, and after about 25 minutes, sort of thought, oh, it's it's radio. Like, it's just got somebody burbling away. Yeah. Just chat. It's just chat. That's actually what it is, isn't it? It's just the chat about the game. And then I sort of got it. So I was like, oh, okay, that's all right. It's Friday night. Mm-hmm. Tonight. Mm-hmm. What are you going to be watching? Are you going to be watching anything on TV? Do you have any box sets on the go? I tend to watch things on iPlayer now more than um, than I do... Like, I don't tend to watch things as they get broadcast. Yeah. 
Inside Number Nine was the last thing I was watching that I and I really liked Man Like Mo Bean as well I don't know if you saw that oh yeah that looks great with Ghost Khan it's got some re- I mean it's like a bit rough around the edges but really confident and there's some really good he's a like, funny guy I follow him on Twitter yeah and some really really great performances throughout in that and it's like very very it's like so confident Inside Number 9 was the most recent thing I think where I looked at it and I thought that's so cleverly done I don't know how I could never do that that's so cleverly how the fuck did they do that? Do you know what I mean? Because you forget that doing it, you do the first draft and it's shit, and the second draft is a bit less shit, and, the third, and you end up doing about fucking 15 drafts of everything without even realising it, and so it actually ends up... It looks like you were really clever <laughs> by the time you get to the end, but you had to sort of get it wrong a hundred times, and every time you start again, you have to trick yourself into thinking that you're only going to write one draft. Sorry, I'm rambling now. No, but that's but, the, that's the mm. secret, isn't it? It's, it, it's yeah. like if people knew how magic tricks were done, they'd all be disappointed because the secrets are so prosaic. It's like, yeah. you just have to... Keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's weird, though. It is weird because it is a thing that, that stops you writing in the first place. Is thinking, well, this is shit. While you're writing it, you think this is shit because it probably is shit compared to the stuff you've seen that's been gone through that process and been edited and polished. And, yeah. you know. So it seems shit while you're doing it. And so it's like, on the one hand, you have to just finish it. You have to just finish it and then you can start improving it. You have to sort of be in it for the long haul, but really, I always have to trick myself into thinking things are definitely going to happen. I can't really write a script if I think it's not going to get made. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have to like, or it might not get made. I can't. And how when people go into the movie industry and they spend like, a, they'll write a screenplay, or you'll get screenwriters who've got like a drawer full of 20 scripts that have never been made. Right, right. How do you sit down and write the next one then? If that's the, why not just fucking jump out the window, mate? Push that window open, just fucking walk out, fuck it. Because what's the point? Look at all that. Those little universes you've thought up into that drawer, that living in that little drawer. What's the point of that? Fuck it, you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But like, yeah. that's yeah. terrible, isn't it? I'm not advocating anyone should jump out of a window. God, you have to put disclaimers everywhere these days. I'm absolutely yeah. not suggesting that. <laughs> that would be a tragedy. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Welcome back, podcats. Charlie Brooker there with the world-beating 
percussive Jimmy Carr laugh. And that was also Charlie providing the continue this week too. Thanks to Dan Hyman on Twitter for that uh, suggestion. I just said Hyman, but that was his name. So what are you going to do? Thanks very much indeed to Charlie for interrupting his writing day in order to talk bullshit with me. I have now seen that episode of Black Mirror, San Junipero, that Charlie was scandalized I hadn't seen, and it's very good. I recommend it if you haven't seen it yourself. Anyway, thanks again to Charlie. Thanks as well to those of you who got in touch and told me about the bird at the end of last week's episode. It was like an Easter egg. After like and subscribe for the hardcore of the hardcore who listen right to the end, you would have heard a recording of a, a bird that sounded as if it had been brought up by Josh Wink, the uh, techno DJ. Here's a short blast of it once again. Sheila Larkin on Twitter, she says, Techno bird at the end of podcast 75 is a skylark, a summer visitor. It nests in the grass. It's usually the first bird to start singing early morning. Hence the term, up with the lark. Smiley face. Thank you very much, Sheila and everyone else who pointed that out to me. This was supposed to be the last in the current run of podcasts for a little while. I'm going to take a break for the summer and come back in the autumn with another set of weekly episodes. But Art Fund, who occasionally sponsor this podcast and are on a mission to encourage people to visit more of Britain's galleries and historical sites, etc., they got in touch and offered me the opportunity to walk around a London gallery with a friend of mine after hours and just chat about some of the art. Nothing, you know, we're not like plugging art fund right the way through. We're just doing a normal podcast that happens to be in an art gallery. And my guest in the end was Tim Key, one of my favourite comedians, actors. So we recorded that just last week and it'll go out towards the beginning of June as a, uh, yeah, as a sort of special edition of the podcast and after that break time during that time you might like to explore the adam buxton app there's a wealth of adam buxton based fun to be had on there bonus episodes of this podcast currently unavailable anywhere else links to all sorts of beyond brilliant videos that i've made over the years again some of which can't be accessed any other way but the adam buxton app there's some jingles on there. There's some of the uh, sponsor ads on there. If you've enjoyed those in the past, you might find your favorite on the app. And of course, it's a portal from which you can leap to the merch site where you'll find specially designed t-shirts and mugs and posters, stickers. Uh, there's little collections of some of the jingles there, available to download and keep. There's my DVD, available on Go Faster Stripe. The only uh, DVD currently available of my, some of my live bits and pieces that I've done over the last few years. Not Bug, but similar to Bug in some ways. Uh, it's called Adam Buxton's Old Bits. So, you know, 
if you miss me, you can uh, check out that stuff. What do you think, Rose? You shaking off the ticks there? I'm taking a walk in the dandelion clocks. Yeah, just two weeks ago, this field was covered in bright yellow dandelions, and now they've all transformed into their fluffy clock versions. Time is marching on, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. You're boring. Is this about the ticks still? You didn't even get to know them there. So one of them was really funny, the other one was nice and just listened to what I had to say. Yeah, but they were sucking your blood all of that time and quite possibly giving you deer disease as well. At least they paid attention to me. How, what? How can you say that? I dote on you. My phone, listeners, my phone the other day, I noticed that it used to be full up with pictures of my children. And in the last year, the, there's still a few pictures of my children there. But now it's mainly just pictures of trees, sunsets and rosy. That'll be what I call my pastoral album when it comes out. Anyway, thank you very much indeed once again to Charlie Brooker. Thanks to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his production support on this episode. Thanks to Acast for hosting this podcast and many other terrific ones. And thanks, of course, most of all to you for listening right to the end, for listening at all, let's face it, and for your uh, continued encouragement and open-minded support of the podcast. Very much appreciated. All right, let's head home. Rosie! Rosie! Rose! Till next time, we're together. Please go carefully. Try to be nice. Avoid ticks. And remember, I love you. Bye!